Yeah, you know, and it, it's a beautiful thing to see people that weren't able to do something be given access to be able to, to do it and, and, and to adapt and, and, and do it in, in their own way. Uh, you know, one of the principles for inclusive design is that, you know, you design for one and, and scale to many. So not only are you helping sort of that fairly underrepresented population of folks, but then also everyone else benefits. Microsoft is doing some really, really interesting things these days. Um, you know, today we're going to talk about uh, Fluent Design, their Fluent Design system, and we're going to talk with Tim Allen, who's a partner there at Microsoft. Super smart guy. Um, you know, they're they're doing uh, awesome stuff with Fluent Design, but also uh, we're going to talk about inclusive design, their inclusive design efforts uh, that Tim's really behind, and. This is really, really amazing stuff. Last May um, at Hangtime Seattle, our design conference there, we had Claudio Guglieri from Microsoft uh, give a presentation on like some of the aspects of fluent design, and I was I was blown away because there's some really, really, really interesting research that went into um, a lot of the aspects of their their interfaces. And it, what's cool is we get to talk to Tim today and get a behind the scenes, you know peek at, at, at the thought behind all this and the cool efforts that are going on. He's working on some really, really interesting stuff. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, check out fluent.microsoft.com if you're not familiar with it. Um, honestly, it's it's some some really fascinating um, work. If you're into UI, UX, you're going to definitely want to know uh, what's happening over there and, and kind of learn from what they're uh, presenting. So, And once again, this episode is brought to you by Wix.com, Push the Limits of Design and create beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours with Wix. And we'll be hearing a little bit more about Wix later on in this episode. But for now, let's get on with our chat with Tim Allen from Microsoft. Hey, welcome to Overtime, Tim Allen. All right, thanks a lot. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's really, really great to have you uh, on because there's, there's a lot... To talk about a lot of things that that I'm excited to talk about, um, you know, we I just got back from uh, Seattle and and Hang Time, which was one of our uh, events that we threw, and uh, a colleague of yours, uh, Claudio, gave a great com- a great presentation about specifically about fluent design and the stuff going on at Microsoft Design, and it was just it was eye opening for me. It was it was really cool to see what's happening there and how open you guys are in terms of, you know, the process of creating, you know, what's the next, the next phase of, of interface for Microsoft. So, um, you know, I guess to start off there, like how did you, I guess, how, how did, how did you come to Microsoft and maybe, maybe, um, maybe why, why you decided to join the team there and, and uh, where you came from for that? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, my passion as a designer is really all about um, the the combination of uh, sort of functional utility and emotional reson- resonance and uh, kind of cultural connection, right? So, how does how does something make you feel, and then also, you know, how useful is it for you, and how does it uh, apply to your life? And so it was really interesting about Microsoft is, um, you know, I had a 
pretty long-term relationship um, with Albert Shum, who's my manager now, and he's kind of leads uh, or helps to lead our design effort across Microsoft here. And so when we were talking about Microsoft, and, and this is something I saw even as an outsider, it's like the, the, the what of Microsoft was starting to meet the how, meaning um, with, especially with Satya taking over the reins, um, you still have the scale and the power of all this like great technology um, you know that's everywhere and it's, it's sort of inter- enterprise ready and so forth. But yeah. on top of that, you just you had this approach to creating it and the impact it would have on humanity um, that was you know you know almost poetic in, in the way that Satya was positioning it. And so those two uh, facets, coming together was pretty uh, amazing for me. So, and that, that's what drew me. Um, and then the, the team that I, uh, I help lead uh, or the teams that I lead are almost direct reflections of that. Um, mm. Yeah, that's great. So in, in, you know, there's a couple of things I, I know I want to cover today in, in terms of fluent design system and, and also the inclusive design that you that you have going on there. I wonder if you could, uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about those two efforts and 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 how they might have differed from Microsoft of the past. You know, the way the way it worked in the past. Yeah, I mean, I I would say, well, for for one, we we have this new um, direction to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more right which is you know and, and some people you know maybe you're drinking the kool-aid or you know sometimes corporate statements are just corporate statements but i think oh, what's right. really interesting uh and it's it's been documented that that mission has started to fundamentally change the culture at, at, at microsoft and people truly believe in that and are, are passionate in in bringing that to life right mm, yeah um, and so uh, as a manifestation of that, like uh, there's a whole team in, in dedicated to inclusive design, which is all about how do you use the breadth of human diversity, um, you know, all the things that make us unique in terms of our abilities, our preferences, and, and, and the way that we learn to innovate with our products mm. as opposed to addressing them sort of at the end of a product cycle we use them at the beginning to create, you know, new avenues and, um, you know, new points of value. And so that's sort of our, our, our approach, inclusive design. And then in, in terms of the, our, our execution, we have fluent design, which is our sort of universal system across all of our products and services. Um, you know, that's still, you know, in early stages, but, it's meant to tie together and, and create a more cohesive and more natural and, and intuitive um, system yeah. for, for interacting with all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I imagine like a lot a lot of that's driven by the way technology's progressed, right? With with we're not just behind desktop screens anymore, and um, we've got VR and AR and little devices, and and so I, I would assume that that that's part of the challenge too, right? To make this cohesive interface across everything. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and to make an interface that is cohesive, but then also intuitive and, you know, mm-hmm. empowering as well. You have little screens you, you put in your pocket or that you wear. You have large screens that are on walls. You've got, like you said, desktop, laptops. And then you have, you know, head-mounted displays and AR and VR and so forth. And then, you you know, no screens at all, which, you know, kind of getting closer yeah. to yeah. zero D or uh, zero interface mm. device as well. Oh, zero D. I haven't heard that before. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we, <laughs> right? we talk about 2D interfaces, right? And that's like, you know, yeah. uh, done uh it's almost been perfected really you talk you know just in in terms of uh journal inter- interface and experience design then this 3d world that's fairly new and you know we're, we're, we're getting our feet wet there yeah um, but then you know this kind of zero d world where it's you know, headless devices uh mm-hmm. that's 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 yet another area wow and that you know like sound plays a, a big part in that obviously uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound and, yeah. and voice. Yeah, and then you know, for each yeah, one of gestures. those, yeah, gestures. You you have all these input modalities. We used to keyboard and mouse, but and now you have yeah, like you said, gaze, gesture, pen and ink, um, huh. voice. You know, and so forth. Wow, I I love I love this. I mean, this is like it almost feels it's it's funny. It almost feels like the the the, the real world becoming more a part of the design and the execution of the stuff as it may, because the technology is there now. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the logical conclusion would be that we experience technology the way that we experience the world or, you know, interact with other people. So it, it hopefully all of this, um, new uh, all these new ways to interact and and use technology brings us closer to the goals we want to achieve um you know it doesn't make us adapt to the technology the technology adapts to us yeah 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 that's and and so you know one of the things that's fascinating to me about um what, what you're doing there with microsoft design and fluent design and all and is the it's a very much an open process. It appears it's almost like um, I read somewhere where someone was comparing it to it almost like you're looking at it like a software as a service thing, but it's actually you're creating a, a design system for, for interfaces in terms of the transparency you have in the sharing of, of the process. Is that, do you think that's new for, for the team there or for, and or for you as well or, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely new for um, Microsoft. Yeah. I think in previous design systems, whether that be you know Metro or anything before, you, you could spend a lot of time perfecting that design system. You know, it could be years even, and then you know you'd you'd have this uh, ta-da! Hey, here's our design system. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Go <Yeah>. forth. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but this time we, it's a different approach. And I think it speaks to the speed of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and so that's sort of one logistical angle. Another angle is just kind of culturally. Um, we realize the impact that, you know, the community of our first party, uh, developers or sort of our in, internal develop, developers from and designers 
from Xbox to Office to Howland, so forth. But then also externally, you know, the you know, there's so many developers that we can learn from, and if we take this sort of uh, stair step approach of releasing and understanding, experimenting and incubating ideas publicly, it will end up with a better system quicker. Yeah, which is which is awesome. It's awesome to see. Um, is there? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. No, I ask this without sounding offensive because I guess I don't, I don't want to sound offensive, but you know, is there, um, fr- the design community in Microsoft, for instance, seems like in the past there, there's been maybe a, more of a chasm there than there, than there is now. And, and that's why it's kind of amazing to see what's happening now. What internally is there, is there like a, a shift in terms of, embracing the the design community more or it, it just seems like there's there's a lot more effort uh going on with this or at least maybe it's just that it's out in the open more you know i i think that it's definitely out in the open more but i think the value of design as a like strategic business differentiator mm-hmm. has been um blessed and been sort of recognized uh, and the fact that we can help breed more confidence and advocacy and, and more of an emotional attachment to the things that we make um, and also influence what we make as well. Mm-hmm. And boom, you know, bringing in kind of inclusive design is that's a very powerful, um, uh, you know, sort of weapon in, in the arsenal. And it's just like we're, we're, we're almost at the beginning of reaching it is potential. There's still a lot left. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just saw uh, recently the, some uh, articles about, um, you know, fluid design making or p- parts of fluid design, making it into like windows 10, for instance. So it, it does feel like it's, you're just sort of getting started with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's to what you were talking about earlier. It's just, you know, we're, we're very open about, um, where we are, um, but it, you know, I think the the potential of us being able to deliver on that promise I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. There's 7.4 billion people in the world. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is crazy. Literally, want to empower every single one of them. And there's a difference between this functional utilitarian design, which I think you know Microsoft's done well at in the past, versus you know, click this button, the the machine does this. Mm-hmm. Versus something that is uh, much more visceral and and much more um, tied to the way you experience the world that evokes a a different response for people. Mm. So it doesn't just work; it uh, it works well. And you know, to use an overused term, it's you know, it's it's delightful and uh, it's resonant as well. Yeah. It's amazing to hear that many, yeah, the, the number of people in the world, and that's the goal. I always, I always cringe a little bit when it's when it's like a, I don't know, like a, a company that's. I'm just going to make something up here, but uh, a company that make is making, you know, uh, a paper towel that's gonna it's gonna change the world or whatever <laughs> whatever they're gonna say. Paper towel is a bad example. Uh, 
let me think, a coffee mug. You know, they're going to revolutionize coffee mugs and it's going to change the world. And then I sort of cringe when I hear that because it's, I mean, yeah, it could change some people's lives in a small way, but Microsoft really has that that unique position to actually be able to say that with some confidence, right? Because <laughs> the effect, the, the the products affect so many people throughout the world. Was that something that that was um, attractive to you in terms of coming on board there? The scale that at which you can you can work. Definitely. I mean, the, the scale that, that we work at is, is, is tremendous, you know, and um, the sectors and industries that, that we're a part of and the products that, that we make, that we, that we have in market now and the ones that, you know, we're, we're cooking up as well. It just, that's, it's just an impressive um, inventory. And then, like, that's that what and the how and the, the how we make them, that kind of standing for something culturally means a lot. It means just as much as um, what we, we make too. And and the actual, actually like there's a, you know, how you make something is a direct re- sort of reflection on what is, is made. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is, this goes back to, um, reminds me of Claudio's presentation on, on, you know, he sort of went into some of the research around fluent design and what what you how you guys have been coming up with with the different facets of it. And I, it'd be cool to to touch on those because some of them are just really super fascinating. Fascinating. Like one one is the sounds in the interface, and not you know not to get too uh, into the weeds, but it, it's fun stuff. I mean, the the, the research around listening to uh, an alert message in different in different languages and how there's a cadence and a melody to them. And that informed like how a sound, a universal sound might appear in the, um, in the interface. I wonder if you could, if you could go into that a little bit in in terms of the research around, we could start with sound, but there's a, there's a, a few different other aspects of it too, that are, that are fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I mean, I think the way that, I would explain it is again through a kind of function and an emotion. You could, if you're creating a notification sound, then you could any sound will trigger the fact that something has has uh, occurred. Um, but you know, we think sound is so essential to the way that we kind of communicate with the world, and we found that you know all spoken languages have this musical pattern, right? It, it, uh, there's a speech contour especially in terms of different uh, phrases. Yeah. yeah. So, if, for example, like ready to go. Um, if you say ready to go, yeah. there's a really <laughs> similar contour between English, obviously, which I just spoke, Japanese, Mandarin, and Spanish, mm. uh, and other, other languages as well. And if you look at the contour of that and that sort of intonation and the uh, melody and the rhythm, you can use that to signify ready to go, which is maybe a notification for a new message or um, a reminder. Uh, and then that not only signifies something functionally, but emotionally, it's, uh, you know, sort of unconsciously registering as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that that's just fascinating to me. Uh, like ready to go. Like it's... <laughs> I'll have to insert some some sounds into this to show because that would be. This is an audio podcast. We have a good opportunity to do that. But um, 
you know, the do, 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 like it, it just several of those just made, made a lot of sense and hopefully were universal regardless of what language you're speaking. Um, and I, I suppose that goes back to the overarching inclusive design, uh, mandate, right? Is that, that that's part of it. That's totally part of it. Like, I think we all have our unique abilities and ways of learning and, um, limitations, but then, you know, there's universal uh, themes and universal goals and universal uh, understanding that we all, we all have as humans as well. So it's the interplay of those and the respect of each one of those too. That's all that really kind of drives inclusive design. Mm. So I think that sound example is a good example of that. It really is. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, I was blown away when I heard, you know, hearing all the different languages and then what, what you, what you ended up on just really, really cool. And that same, that same sort of research, I, I think goes into other aspects of it too, right? With, for instance, light, there's a demonstration of how you're using shadows and light on what are 2d paint windows, really 2d panes that we're familiar with, uh, as a pattern. And, and just, I, I was amazed at how just, the difference in shadow and light can make those dimensionally seem, you know, seem more, uh, some more real, I guess. Um, and I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit as well. Yeah, we're, we're trying to map how we interact with the world and understand the world into our experiences, not necessarily for the sake of aesthetics or like skeuomorphism, Right. But just to enable you to understand uh, hierarchy better, you know, and understand the way you perceive and organize the world and, and apply that to our experiences. So like when like for in, in terms of motion and and depth, when something's coming at you or especially when it's coming at you quickly, you, you have a different reaction than something that's receding or, or not moving at all. And so bringing that together in a way that's like, digitally appropriate because yeah. um, there's a, there is a translation there does bring that visceral reaction that you had when you saw those delight interacting with the 2d panels and creating that shadow it's less about the shadow and more about what that does to your mind and your understanding of what's uh, that space i see yeah so uh, the patterns that we're used to in the real world right uh, trigger triggering those in in the digital world or it can be helpful. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Totally. And, uh, and then there's, you know, acrylic and light sort of the, the feel of things, material of things there's some really interesting things going on there with the way material travels over other things. And I'm, I'm describing this terribly. I realize <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what's hard about a podcast, an audio podcast, when we're talking about interface things. But um, was there a lot of using physical things first, and and seeing how those react to, for instance, light, and or or was it in, entirely digital? Did you need did you even need to use real objects? Yeah, it was a, a combination of the two, physical and, and digital. So really understanding. Mm-hmm materials mean in the real world right so like real materials they bend they bounce some 
can glide, some shatter, um, you know, some are rigid. And, you know, how how do you understand that visually? Uh, And and also, like, when you interact with them, when you touch them, when you feel them, what what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, translate that digitally so that you can can have the same triggers and um, expectations that are that uh, implicitly well at the same time not being like you said earlier and not being completely skeuomorphic about it like and and making it it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to look like wood green or you know whatever it is uh it can be more um more implicit right yeah exactly yeah, yeah you don't you don't need a copy but i think you you do translate the meaning mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah this that's great yeah I, I love it. I love where this is all going. This is, is, is what's the most, what's the most exciting, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most in terms of being able to use this, these interfaces or is it AR VR zero D my new favorite phrase, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> or, or is it a combination of all, you know, like what, what, what aren't we using today that you're most excited about using uh, in the future? I would for for me it's it's about uncovering new interaction models. Mm. Like I said, I think a lot we're just habitualized to two D because we've been limited yeah. to to the two D for so long, and so uh, to a certain extent we've almost kind of perfected it a, a bit. You know, if you especially get you know yeah. mobile um, it, 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 with as with touch, but if you go past 2D planes, and what does that open up? 2D rectangular rectangular planes. What does that really open up? Um, and especially when you think about people's natural way of going through multiple devices within an hour, much less sort of a, a day, right? What are the all the new types of, of patterns that we could create uh, and build on based on that type of context? Yeah. Yeah, that that is exciting actually. Um I'm I'm trying to th- I mean I guess, I suppose like in a small way voice command is something that I that's been fun to watch evolve, you know, and take hold and actually be useful. <laughs> right. And it's voice something like you carry yeah. around with you and you always have access, you know, yeah. and, you know, depending on you know, your your ability to to vocalize um in yeah. design yeah. what does it mean um or a zero D um, product to interact with someone that may not be able to uh, speak, right? So, you know, can it recognize other forms mm-hmm. of input as well? Yeah. But like just you being the in control and uh, you sort of being your ability and, and yourself and your identity being the center of an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you kind of take that with you, obviously, because it's yourself everywhere you go. Mm. And having technology respond to that, I think, is another exciting path. Yeah, super exciting. We're living in the future. <laughs> uh, and that, that actually dovetails nicely into, um, you know, and one example of inclusive design that, that you also have uh, released recently. And actually, I don't know, maybe it's a prototype. You can correct me there, but it's the inclusive gaming controller that I, you know, I was watching a, a demonstration of this and it was, it was pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. I wonder if you could tell us about that a little bit. It's really just about 
having everyone enjoy uh, gaming despite whatever your physical limitations yeah. are, right? Yeah. It's mainly built around the needs of gamers with limited mobility. Mm-hmm. So you can this the the adaptive controller has these huge, large programmable buttons. Uh, so so this is easier for people with mobility impairment. But then you also can um, connect it to external switches, buttons, joysticks, um, and different mounts make yeah. gaming accessible. So it's 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 almost like infinitely customizable to, to suit mm-hmm. whatever your situation is. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. I, the demonstration was amazing. I, I was, well, I had a couple thoughts too. Like one is I, I'm terrible at games that require a lot of buttons. So I'm like myself, I'm not mobility impaired, but, but I, I kind of want that controller with just a couple buttons on it that are big. And, but also that there was, um, you know, they were demonstrating, um, how you, you could play a game and I can't remember the name of the game now, but it was a, it was a, driving game and and uh someone could use like one leg basically to play the game and by you know by moving their knee back and forth to steer and then um press a pedal to shoot um i i was i was blown away I was, this is this is amazing it was really gratifying to to create something like that and see people use it and get their feedback on it yeah you know and it, it's a beautiful thing to see people that weren't able to do something be given access to be able to, to do it and, and, and to adapt and, and, and do it in, in their own way. Uh, you know, one of the principles for inclusive design is that, you know, you design for one and, and scale to many. So not only are you helping sort of that fairly underrepresented population of folks, but then also everyone else benefits. So, you, you know, Xbox also has a, a co-pilot feature, right? And with the adaptive controller, you know, for... I just had a, a, a little boy, so maybe in the future uh, I'll, I'll be doing this with uh, my little guy. But you could map, you know, uh, you know, either jumping or steering or something like that to a controller uh, and have, um, you know, a little one, right, with, you know, just natural limit uh, mobility. Uh, and then, you know, you could control other aspects. So that's something that everyone, you know, so when you, when you take care of the edges, we say that it's the whole is impacted hmm. as well. Hmm. So uh, the inclusive design is not only to create things that are more accessible, but then also benefit everyone else. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's that's a great way to look at inclusiveness and accessibility, and th- that it does benefit everybody. That's awesome. Tell tell me about your your path. Like, how how did you how did you start with design? Is it something that came early on, or? How did you get to where you are? I guess. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'll I'll try to sum that up quickly. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I I was one of those kids that that was always drawing, and um, you know, fortunately had it like some you know parents that fueled that. And one day in uh, at the beginning of high school, my father bought me an airbrush, uh, and that that was back in the day, right? So you know, airbrushing and like tagging. And yeah. Was, um, wow was pretty hot. It's actually kind of coming, this whole eighties thing is coming back. But anyway, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I immediately took that and ended up like by junior year, I had like my own airbrush business. And so that was like my first time understanding that, okay, 
there's a difference between art, which I was doing before, like drawing and then like designing shirts and, you know, um, you know, we were doing motorcycles and boats and, you know, it just kept banding. Yeah. You know, it's like almost like branding. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that got me on a path to, you know, that book that I used to sell airbrush, um, uh, clothing or whatever is the same book I used to get into design school. You know, it, and then I, after design school, got into gaming, you know, speaking of gaming, and that led me into in, interface design. So, you know, you kind of go in from fine art to kind of like experience design. Um, yeah. And then led into Adobe and, and you know, started working with uh, Nike through RGA, and Nike Plus, which was for me, again, like that perfect blend of uh, this visceral, emotional brand that uh, is almost palpable in terms of like the way that people feel about it. But then delivering on that through, you know, what we created, which, which was like digital sport and Nike plus and enabling people through technology to deliver on the promise of the brand, you know, by running better and tracking and being motivated. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, that's for me the, where the gold is. And then, then, you know, from then went to Amazon and you sort of landed here at Microsoft. Wow. Yeah, that's a cool journey, like from airbrushing early on to empowering everyone on the planet. (laughs) 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 This week's episode is brought to you by Wix.com. With Wix, the web is your playground. Start with a blank slate and design your website in any layout you want. Work with advanced features like retina-ready image galleries, custom font sets, and sophisticated design effects. Each feature is intuitive to use, so you're in control from design to live. With Wix, you'll have real creative freedom to tell your story online, exactly the way you've envisioned it. Push the limits of design and start creating beautiful, impactful websites that are uniquely yours. Go to Wix.com slash Dribble to get started today. That's W-I-X dot com slash Dribble. Wix, what will you create? Like how, so in terms of the Microsoft design team that that, that you're in charge of there, is that is it a large group there? And, and how is that structured? Uh, so for me, so I'm a part of a, a fairly large design team Um that, that covers experiences and, and devices all up. So hardware and software um, across uh, Windows and uh, Office. Um, and so all, and all the products that you know, come out of that. There's about, um, yeah, upwards 500 uh, designers, um, content, wow. strategists, writers, researchers, uh, you know, it, all, all, all the design sort of, disciplines and then my team within that um and typically those teams are organized in verticals right so yeah you have the skype team the office team the windows team right and right. my team is a little bit differentiated because our, our sole purpose is to be horizontal so both fluent design and inclusive design are horizontal teams that work with all the other teams to equip them to make better experiences gotcha is that new for the company? You think, or uh, I think there there have been um, horizontal teams before for the company. I think this combination yeah. of you know 
how we design inclusive and then what we design fluent is is definitely mm-hmm. new. Yeah. Are you guys physically all in the same place in 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 Washington? Or yes, we are. We're we're all in uh, Redmond, as as a matter of fact, in Washington, in, in our studio here. Uh, it's co-located. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, you guys are doing some some amazing stuff. I'm I'm so glad that you're sharing the process too. Taking a like an iterative approach to to it, it that's got to be challenging though with all the different products that there are. And trying to inform, you know, the design of those at this not at the same time, but along the same um, ethos or whatever. So, yeah, what's what's the biggest challenge? Do you think for for your team in doing that? I mean, I think the biggest challenge is to to be more efficient. What and I think what what Satya is trying to do with the company, and it's been you know written about is to bring people together in an organization or a company that is used to working in verticals or, you know, silos is a strong word, but, um, but, you know, how can we break out of our organizations and find ways to empower more people and and add more value by, by working together? Um, so just being a part of that is, you know, the, is, is, is has been challenging, but you know we, we can't really move forward without uh, jumping on that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, and how I feel like once I got you know a, a sense of what what you guys were doing there with fluent design, I, I was like, how much? I just want to know more about it. Like, what's the best? Where's the best places to go to get? to get involved or to learn more about um, what you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, the, the best place to start, if, especially if you are, you know, part of the design discipline, uh, is microsoft.com slash design. Um, and there you can learn about fluent design, you can learn about inclusive design. Um, and not only can you learn about it, but we're really trying to equip people to act on it as well. So with inclusive design... yeah. We have uh, toolkits. We have uh, short films to kind of create empathy um, and understanding, uh, and even uh, curriculum that we've open sourced. Mm. And then for fluent design, of course, we have um, our guidance, our controls, our patterns, all laid out for folks uh, to either use in terms of actually technically or uh, learn about. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, that so that's amazing that you're that you're that transparent about it i think and was there ever a worry in doing that in in open sourcing this stuff or in in being so um being so open about what what you're doing not necessarily i think the the benefits definitely outweigh some of the um the cons but yeah uh one thing that's challenging, though, as you create something that is on a journey, there's a lot of energy around fluent design. I think, you know, my one of my concerns personally is, you know, how do you keep that energy on the rise uh, or sustained as you develop more and more components? And then how do you do it? How do you do it at velocity? I'd, I'd love to continue hmm. to, uh, to iterate, but, you know, do it quickly and... Um, 
get more things out to the public uh, so that they're they're more available. Yeah, yeah. So in that, uh, that's been helpful in terms of uh, speeding that process up. Maybe just getting feedback uh, quicker than say an official release. You know. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. How, how yeah. can we just be a bit more agile there? So you know, work on things yeah. to to enable that. Um, or, yeah, right now we're sort of locked into the rhythm of, uh, you know, windows releases. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, what can we look for next from, from Microsoft design? Is there something that's, uh, that's upcoming that you can mention that, 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 uh, that you're excited about? You know, I, I would say, um, you, you, you'll see more examples like the adaptive controller, that mm, yeah that are designed well and you know great products in of themselves but like how we came about creating products like that and for who for whom we're, we're creating those products for i think you'll start to see that more so there's there are microsoft learning tools oh, cool. um and so one of the tools is for dyslexia um mm. why do you incorporate not only people with physical um diverse physical abilities, but diverse cognitive abilities. Mm. And so, you know, we're using the OneNote platform to allow uh, students uh, that have dyslexia to grow up uh, to be more creative and to understand communication and language better. Mm. Mm. That's fantastic. You're doing some amazing things. This is this has been so fun to to hear a little bit about about you know what you're working on tim and and uh yeah i just want to thank you for being with us because i think it's going to open hopefully just getting the not that we need to get the word out for microsoft but in a sense like for me it, it seems like a new a newer initiative that that is super interesting for people that are that are doing this stuff um you know for clients or working for their own teams or whatever um, so I, I, I just, I'd really thank you for sharing, sharing it because I think it's helpful, uh, in a, in a real global sense, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for highlighting it. It's definitely been a pleasure and said it's a, it's, it's a journey. So, you yeah. know, I, a part of this is also, you know, connecting more with the design community. We talked about the, the impact that design's having within Microsoft internally, but then, you know, externally, we want to share that as much as possible and, you know, get feedback on it. Um, and it'd be a, a much of, of, of a part of the design community as we can. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, 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 you know, everyone should follow Microsoft on, on dribble <laughs> shameless plug, but, um, cause you are sharing a, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff around this. Uh, right on Dribble, so you can see, you know, visual visuals of what we were talking about, and um, yeah, completely. And uh, yeah. Uh, Fluent Friday on our Twitter account, which is just at Microsoft Design as well. So yeah, okay. it's just a community event. Folks can um, uh, basically submit Fluent uh, designs or uh, Fluent creations, and we just kind of uh, celebrate them and review them. Wow, oh, super cool. Yeah, that's great. So thank yeah, thanks again, Tim. This has been awesome. Uh can't wait to see what you guys uh continue to to 
share with us. And I don't know. I can't wait for the future though, using all this stuff. <laughs> Same here, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Take care, okay. Tim. Take care. This has been Overtime, Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cedarholm, and thanks for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks again.